Hey, Kamal, uh, thank you for coming in. You just have a remarkable life. I'm, I'm so talented, so knowledgeable, uh, just so many dimensions of being profound. <laughs> um, thank you for coming in and sharing your insights because we're going to have a really great conversation because of the, all of the things you do. So I really, really in gratitude for sharing what you what you do with our audience. Thank you, Stephen. It is uh, quite an honor uh, and, and a privilege to be here. I, I am a big fan of you and your work and your words. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Kamal, you know, my my audience, uh, and I do measure this, by the way, uh, my audience primarily is, and, and it's in precisely this order. Number one are co-founders, or founders, then it's CEOs, then it's co-founders, then it's presidents. And then, then it's board members. And then after that are things like financial people, uh, professors, engineers, and so on. But the top five are actually executives. And, uh, and, and, be, and because executives are really curious about what's happening. Well, that's just everybody because we're at an unusual time. But they're curious, they're curious about you, Kamal, because uh, you've done some, so many uh, wonderful things. So what were those inflection points that created this amazing person that you are today. I mean, you do, you, you're in so many different areas and so multidimensional and very uh, impactful. And it could have been something that when you were three or five or uh, maybe in your family or outside or mentor or something in your schooling, et cetera. Um, well, Stephen, a lot of who I am is uh, uh, my contrarian personality, but also I would say um, a big contributor to this or, or, or decisions I've made has been my dad and my husband. Um, I grew up in, in, at IIT Kanpur, which is like a world of uh, a campus filled with really brilliant people all focused on technology. And my father was what we call the Reader's Digest guy, father. He was very open and liberal in a country which put foundations on, on girls. Um, and he, uh, I remember him taking me to Liquid Crystals lecture and uh, um, mitochondrial DNA lectures when we were very young. And so there, that was the way, and that was a dinner conversation. In fact, this morning he sent me the dark matter has been solved to a large extent. And, and he has asked me a bunch of questions on that article, which I haven't gotten yet to. So that's who he was. Uh, but um, but at but 16, I found love of my life, uh, my husband, Sharish. And um, and I was determined not to pursue a career in the traditional sense and get married at 18 and leave the country. And in my whole, that was my big inflection point because I was challenging every norm um, and, uh, and, and challenging all his work of education and everything. So I left the country, married my husband at 20 when it was legal in India. And landing in the United States was that big sort of like, learning moment like how do I navigate from here what do I do um and then what Sharish provided me was this ultimate luxury I've never had to work for paying my bills so then that gives me infinite opportunities to pursue whatever I want to pursue however I want to pursue uh, I and so those two sort of like simultaneously allowed me and enabled me to pursue a, a career in business to in antiques to in physics to in biotechnology to whatever was intriguing my curiosity that day and then the second big thing that happened was I um, I had a son when I was very young and he was diagnosed with a rare muscle disorder 
And I was working at USDA at the time and I've had the opportunity to look at my own DNA. But when you do that very early, it's it's a, it's a humbling moment that all of this is just this. This is your pre-coded and predetermined. Um, so I decided to stay home and, and raise him myself because I thought, who better than me? Um, but raising him meant that I had to learn a whole new set of things. So which then allowed me to do more of what I always have wanted to do. So really not inflection points, but just my contrarian personality to not accept the norms as how the timeline of my life should go. So. Well, there's so much to unpack here. It's, I mean, it's really fascinating being exposed by your... So you were at IIT, right? Uh, or the... um, Yeah, my dad was a physics professor at Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur, which is one of the most premier tech institutes in the world. Yeah, and in fact, when I when I interview other people from IIT and they come back to this or they come to the states and they may do an MIT or a Caltech, they actually say it's easier <laughs> than IIT. So IIT, I would say, is, is harder. That's, <laughs> so what that's they a, say. Yeah, I mean, so that's really quite remarkable. The environment you grow in, and then. When you're very early on, as you mentioned, you attend these lectures on liquid crystal displays and mitochondria you know, and a lot of those things. Oh, this was even before the liquid crystal displays. This was what liquid crystals were, and they had not even figured out that this would be used as displays yet. So they were like, oh, there is liquid crystals. And they were like, oh. Um, so, yeah, so this is way before it got, got converted into a display or mitochondrial DNA, which then was used to find the gen genealogy from the mother's side. So this is like at the helm of it. So yeah, that's how my life was. That was our Friday evenings. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really quite uh, remarkable. And then meeting your, your partner for life, who, who uh, intertwining and then leaving uh, and, uh, you know, raising, raising your son and all of that, what, what that entails as well all of the learnings and lessons and growth and always pushing your boundaries, right? Yep. And um, so I can see that um, having met you and talked to you, that uh, you're you're really at the outline areas, uh, you know, and um, I, I call this of unbounded capabilities, right? So because there are no boundaries, there's no unbounded uh, capabilities. And and you you know you get a master's in physics you get a master's in biotechnology as well. What what I can see now the master's in physics because you've got this family which was very grounded in physics and physics has this it's sort of the basis of everything right um, from quantum physics to the understanding of everything that's out there is really bounded within physics itself. Very very fundamental. What caused you to do the transfer into biotechnologies because of uh, your son and the interest in that area? Or was it even earlier? It was actually earlier. We moved to Rockville, Maryland, where human genome sciences was just budding and coming out. And Tiger was right next door. Uh, and, and everybody was talking about this genome. Uh, and so... Um, I was pregnant with my first son and I said, I have time and I'm just trying to figure out like, you know, what next? And the the curiosity that my dad and my mom have given me and the, as I said, my, the ability that has, my husband gave me was like, go for it. Because as I said, the, the ultimate luxury of not paying for your life 
has been given to me so I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. So everybody around me was talking about human genome and and people, Celera. It was just like literally like a mile from where we lived. And I was curious as to understand what is this new frontier. And so I went and got a master's in biotechnology from University of Maryland and had an opportunity to work with the uh, USDA, NIH, um, TIGR, all the frontier um, work that was happening at that time because it was right at my doorstep. And um, it was fascinating. As you said, physics is the basis of it all. You kind of have that understanding that it is a problem that needs to be solved. And there are rules that you will follow to solve these problems, boundary conditions. It gives you language. It gives you way of thinking. And, and that enabled me to pursue this completely new field. You know, and then that would indicate, you know, um, you know, to have graduate work in those two different areas are very, very fundamental. I can see how that drives and is an underpinning of understanding everything that's out there. And um, what, what would you say, just thinking about, because you have this strong background in physics, which then mathematics and, and all of the sort of related areas, and then, you, you know, in biotech, what, what do you think are some of the amazing things that you are finding right now about uh, physics? And then in addition to that, uh, what do you think are some of the really amazing things that are happening on the biotech side right now? And let's say predicting a few years into the future. Uh, biotech, I was, I was just blown away with the alpha code, right? Like, so the protein being the basis of all life uh, and then having a son who has uh, a muscle disorder where the lock and key mechanism of his um, um, that does not work for selenium binding, which doesn't lead to a protein being folded the right way, which then leads to all his other issues. Um, uh, it was just fascinating to see alpha folds just come out and show us how all this can fold and, and do it, solve it for pretty much everything at this point is what I believe. And I was blown away with by, by that. I'm like, now we are at the cusp of solving everything, all issues, because protein being, and it's just like, it is so essential to our life and to any life that I'm just like intrigued by how we will be able to, my Alexa just woke up because I said alpha, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, and so the, so that's the biotech side of it. And I'm seeing that happen more. So, uh, also in, and then I do a deeper dive in muscle disorders just because of our son. And, and then I do a lot more in other, um, but the whole idea of combining the motion planning to the, how do we use to uh, enable the, uh, disabled, um, populace, populace in, in, training them and doing therapy, which is now bringing my basic physics to motion planning, to now computer science, to now training the, the using it to, to train the therapist that that can then motion plan for a disabled person and have them from stroke and others figure out how to, how to navigate the world. I think the convergence is just fascinating for me to see in all fields um, for physics. I've just been told that the dark forces and the dark energy has been has been understood to a large extent. And, and I am just intrigued to see what that means. I mean, 77, 77% of our universe is dark. So what we can't see doesn't mean it doesn't exist. 
Um, it, and so I'm just fascinated by that and the implications of that on, given with the AI coming, what would that mean to us? And what would that mean to understanding what other forces exist there that play on us, but we don't understand them? How do we tap into them and then um, further further the humanity in a better way rather than look at them and get scared? So, so let's, let's uh, kind of mind what you just said. So uh, you talk about AlphaFold 2 from DeepMind and um, this is how amino acids fold into proteins. And if you understand that folding 3D uh, structure, then it gives you really the ability to understand diseases and metabolic effects and even the brain, some of the things that happen, some of the disorders that happen as well. Because as you mentioned, uh, uh, malformed proteins, but also you can get into therapeutics. And then uh, DeepMind and AlphaFold2, uh, they've now unlocked over 200 million proteins. Mm -hmm over a period of uh, really a couple of months. But it's estimated that if you went back, let's say five years, the total understanding of the protein universe was not 200 million, it was uh, 2 million. Uh, or a few years before that was 200,000, and then it became yeah. 2 million. But then to jump to 200 million, or you have ESM Fold, which is a large language model, um, and it unlocked what they call the dark matter of proteins up to 600 million. In fact, they created a, uh, a repository. And, and um, they called it the dark matter protein because it's just things that they didn't even know existed, right, that you could do. So that's really uh, very, very profound to us, right, as human beings, but to all life on the planet. And then you talk about um, dark matter and really what does that represent? And now they're thinking um, there's there's a really a duplicate of the entire universe, but it's dark, right? It's considered dark matter, right? So what you know, what, what does that mean? Uh, that's amazing. Uh, and the cross, right? You just the dark protein through the dark matter, and 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 I'm sure <laughs> that people who are in those universes are already thinking and collaborating to figure out how can we use this tech to that tech, right? So there, there is. Right. There's that very interesting inflection point in our society where we are applying one to another because growing up, there was chemistry department and physics department and biology department, and they never spoke with each other. And now, but they are, now they are, they're understanding these interconnections, which is mind blowing. Yeah, or, or even this idea, uh, you know, at the advanced school or to Princeton, maybe the universe is just a projection and all that, you know, we can sort of go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> what reality is right but okay so so uh, you're you're in the stage you you uh, got this background in physics uh, you've got this background in biotechnology you're very curious you're constantly learning um and then uh, it's given you a lot of freedom now let's mine some of the areas where you know where you're uh contributing into impact what was the sort of first impact role you took and why um the first one was we have um, everything happens because in my life, because a good friend asks. Um, and and so some all my major sort of decisions or things that I've been able to, there is nothing you do ever alone. So somebody has to bring you along and somebody has to expose you. Everything that even humanity is so proud of is all collaborative, right? From CRISPR to railways to to now folding of proteins to everything is a collaboration because somebody brought some idea to you. So I was, um, I had just, I had just actually 
closed down an antique store. I had a Southeast Asian antique store and I learned to sell stories and uh, and history through that. That was one of my most fascinating times in my life. I had a large Southeast Asian antique store in DC and I just closed it down because of a recession, um, a, a slight dip in, in the in the market um, and a very demanding uh, motherhood. Um, and a friend of ours who used to be the John Deere South Asia head um, sent out a note saying he was on the board of an uh, organization that did post, uh, post-harvest technology for uh, developing nations um, to increase sort of like the value of, uh, of uh, agricultural yield by creating it into a product. Uh, and he reached out and said, do you know that I read a study that India has one out of uh, four people in India are undernourished? And uh, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's just that your American standards of measuring what people should look like. And he was like, go read it for yourself. And that was the absolute first. I remember walking into Sharisha's office and going like, am I going to wait to be rich to to do something? What if I'm never rich? And then what if I never can write a check? So I'm, I want to fly to India and figure this out. So Sam India Project was my first sort of like big impact related. Uh, I had been on the boards at school and at PTA and leaned significantly into raising funding for um, teacher development and housing. But that was a system that I just tapped into and contributed to. But this was the first one where... I flew into India and uh, India had banned all RUTF at that time, ready to use therapeutic food, which is used for severely acutely malnourished children. It's a UN devised, um, UN mandated, UN health mandated product uh, and actually works the best of all. And we didn't uh, we didn't have it in India. We had banned it uh, because of our issues with the UN at that time. It was very political, nothing to do with the medical community. So I flew in. Um, I remember sitting outside the office of um, the task force head, Dr. Kapil Sharma, for two days at All India Institute of Medical Sciences. And he finally got tired and he said, what do you want? And I said, a thread, a connection, a, a starting point. So we can, which then ended up, build, uh, we ended up building a factory in India for the government of India in collaboration with the, with with uh, actually scientists from Kellogg's and GM and uh, an organization here that we um, that that we left for the uh, in Ministry of Children and uh, Women Welfare to run and produce ready to use therapeutic food for India. That was my first uh, sort of like I have to do this, and I didn't view it as impact back then, but this is something that I have to do because it made sense. I mean, that's a, such a significant uh, project and, and groundbreaking, you know, you're a founder and, and executive officer of the SEM India project and and you're, um, you know, tackling acute malnutrition in India and it, showcasing again your, your commitment to welfare of people, of, of really for the benefit of humanity, but in particular, in this case, uh, child welfare. Uh, and even prior to that, though, you were working and uh, raising funds for educational institutions such as the Landon School and the Sidwell Friends School and uh, uh, and also supporting residential schools for uh, underprivileged girls in uh, Bangalore, India. Can you talk about that work as well in more detail? Sure. Um, so both my kids had the privilege of being at these amazing schools, Landon and Sidwell, which sort of are like the beacons in, of education in, in United States in DC area. 
um, specifically. And both schools are built on the principle that the teacher is, which is rare, but should not be, the teacher is sort of like the, the cornerstone of all education. So both schools lean significantly in teacher development. And uh, unlike most private schools, we uh, our teachers are paid 12 months a year uh, and have a good salaries. And that and, and the housing is subsidized because DC is an expensive place. So we want to make sure, and plus other uh, professional development. So the, the parent body is always involved in making sure that there is enough money raised so that we are able to support our teachers because your education is only as good as your last, like least qualified teacher. So we kind of make sure that they are updated, that they are always taken care of. And then they don't have to struggle with not having enough resources to be able to do their job. Like you, I leave my kids with them for eight hours, nine hours a day. If, if they are struggling with how am I going to pay my rent in June, they're not being able to be there for my kid. And that's not fair. So that's how we leaned into that. Uh, that was my big sort of like passion was to make sure that my, and it's very sort of selfish, right? You're right. I'm not doing anything for anybody. I'm just making sure that the teachers of my own child are taken care of. And so my kids are getting the best education possible. So that's how I viewed it. And that I viewed it as my duty and my responsibility to lean into those teachers rather than something I was doing for impact. And similarly for um, neighbors of ours, they had gone back and started this residential school for girls in India. Um, they had reached out for fundraising and I was very intrigued by how this older gentleman had gone back so Put a school on the on his land but actually um, the school part of his land was given to a large private school in India so these children these girls got to go to school with mainstream so they weren't in a special school so and he supported them all the way in fact the first graduating girl went to PWC um, to work for that so that that was something again it's like kind of a responsibility if there is a place you know you that exists and takes care of and make sure that these kids these girls who come from abject poverty in India have getting an opportunity to grow um, I grew up in India girls are not yes they're marginalized there's there, there's a mindset that we don't take care of our girls yes we on the other side have the most um uh, empowered set of women. We are the only world, world place in the world where all our banks were held were headed by women at the same time. All our financial institutions. New York has never seen that, so we do have that too. But on the other side is this that reality, and and to have I needed to lean into this. I needed to do this. I was back there, and I was happy to raise the money. Uh, I was happy to lean into figuring out the infrastructure and see how we can connect them to the employers and higher education. So that seemed like, again, a responsibility that since I had the ability and the means, why not? Um, so that's how it is. I mean, that's, uh, again, that's, that's really remarkable. You know, you're, you're very committed to being integrated into your community to make it a difference. And it's it's uh, interesting that um, you're you're thinking even on the uh, the structure side, right? So making sure that the teachers are are uh, well supported, you know, because I'm in Canada, uh, our teachers are actually quite well supported, or at least the ones I've, I I know, um, and um, even our wages are pretty good. In fact, mm -hmm. I just discovered that the Vancouver Police Force 
uh, even on the policing side, they're they're the wall. They have the highest pay in North America. Wow. Uh, yeah, the base salary I think is one hundred twenty one thousand. That's that's so that and then you can go up from there from overtime and as you rise from sort of the sort of the base and go up. So it's interesting to see a sort of a contrast in another country and where you know teachers are struggling or anything. and. Uh, I can see parallels there with Carol Hansen and the work she does. Yep. So yeah. you must have great conversations with her. With Carol, all, all the time. Yes. No, I, <laughs> and, and I think now that you said that, I mean, there's so much we could learn from our neighbors. I mean, we, we don't pay our teachers at all. Uh, and we don't pay our police either. So there is that. Um, I think there is a, there's a lot of learning that we could do from Canada. If we just, take a deep breath and decide that we can learn from each other. Maybe collaborative AI. I think that's what it would be. <laughs> because you've got this, uh, you know, your heart is into education and, and to supporting those who uh, need help. And, you, and then you take action. You're constantly executing and, and taking action. Uh, and we've already discussed uh, some elements of it, but we also discussed education. Well, you're the co-founder of... Uh, Isotonic Solutions, it's an edtech company. Can you talk about what led to the founding of that company and what made you excited about this company? Oh, yeah. So um, I was the engagement officer of IPO uh, for the social impact network called People Actions Network, um, which, which I keep fighting that they should be called a social impact network, but they don't want to change it. Um, <laughs> I have a hard time saying, but we, uh, one of our pillars is um, Education SDG3. Uh, and 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 SDG four five, which is gender equity. So un under that, we had formed forums in YPO where we were looking at tertiary uh, education. And one of the members brought in this X Prize rapid reskilling competition to this group, and they said, "Why don't we run this?" And uh, sure, why not? Okay, let's do it. Uh, what is there to lose? So. We formed a group and uh, uh, it was a team in true sense, just a team. It wasn't an entity or anything. And we had tech that was coming from somebody, content from somebody. Like we were just like, so when it all got put together, they were like, okay, who's going to run it? And we're like looking around the room and they're like, Actually, it was we whiteboarded the solution six times when I raised my hand and I'm like, somebody needs to go do this because we keep coming up with strategy, but we have to implement it. And they were like, you go implement it. And so that's how Isotonic came into, into uh, being the name. Literally, my very physics background is like, I'm a solution that is the most stable is an isotonic solution. Uh, and how that's how the name came into being. They didn't fight me on that either. So we uh, developed AI-based, uh, and AI is loosely used, but we really did learn how uh, how an adult learns and how do we supplement them with with tech given that these adults in XPRIZE, especially the ones we were working with the the regular education models have failed with them and and there's nothing wrong with a teacher teaching you and if that's not worked for you throwing technology at them at willy nilly it's like throwing a book at them in a library and saying go learn and that's where i had issues it's like that's not you cannot just scale tech to say that's how you learn they can't so 
we changed the mindset. It became more of a collaborative project. And we, I call ourselves the umbrella makers because you need support and you need teachers and you need technology and you need content and million ways to present the content because what we also realized when the regular system has failed you, and I had 7,000 learners, which is 7,000 more than my next team. Um, and uh, and that all comes from, as I said, nothing in life is based. I have was a, I, I used to sell uh, antiques. So selling is a skill that I learned from there. Uh, micro influencers became a big part of my vocabulary and, and uh, selling patterns. So we were, had a large number of learners uh, across three states in the United States. But what, what I'm proud of is the tech understood and we collaborated with Oxford on their learning centers to understand how do you learn? Like what does one one need to do to learn something? When do you learn? And most often than not, you learn when there's a great teacher. And how do I substitute a teacher with tech? Um, so that was what I'm excited about. Um, we, after the XPRIZE rapid reskilling competition sort of um, got over where we were the finalists, we disbanded and have recreated small pockets of it. Isotonic now is more um, what I do now is more what I was doing back then, the umbrella part of it, pulling the good tech and combining it together to make sure that whoever wants to learn has an ability to learn, whether the content is different or the pedagogy is different or how does tech support them to go forward. So that's what Isotonic, I'm excited about that um, and continue to grow, hopefully. I mean, the XPRIZE uh, reskilling, rapid reskilling global competition ended last year, right? So you were a finalist uh, last year. January, January 2023. Yeah. So it's taken us because I had about 7,000 learners. I had a commitment to them to make sure that that all of them finished training and uh, are all our members and it was a unique team. When have employers come together to lean into workforce development? Like the insights were brilliant and we all committed to it. We made sure that the last of our learners finished their coursework and were introduced to a company where at least trained in um, soft skills and interview skills. Because what we felt was that if we don't finish it, for whatever reason, XPRIZE was not able to, I mean, none of us were able to meet the goal that they had set, which is a moonshot, 5,000 trained, placed, uh, retained. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's that's high, more difficult than going to moon because now my, it depends on the will of the people that I'm training and I cannot have anything to change that if they don't want to stay in a business. But it was a moonshot problem. Um, trying to even get halfway into it was fascinating. But what my concern was, I didn't want to create another system that marginalizes these people. So we waited an entire year to make sure everybody gets what we promised that they would get from us. And, and you get global recognition. I mean, XPRIZE is a very well-known global competition. And uh, and you ended up being a finalist, uh, which is really remarkable because it's it's quite an engine to go through the different stages and to reach that point. So that must have been pretty exciting for you too, right? Because you tackled the problem, you're, you're measured on that problem because the XPRIZE measures. Everything. And, yeah. it, it was fascinating. And again, it, it was, see, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. And, uh, and, and to have, we started with 450 companies, businesses or organizations, and we ended with four. Um, and the other three were these remarkable tech platforms. And two of them were nonprofits that were one of them working in 
um, San Diego area, another one in the Seattle area with homeless population. Uh, I've always told XPRIZE we should all four of us get together and do this together one more time because the, the learnings and the collaboration in that, yes, it was great, a lot of global recognition because I was the most, you give me a microphone, I will talk all day long. So they gave me the microphone at every conference. They were like, come, we'll talk about it. So, um, but it was a remarkable group of four teams that uh, tackled like, or attacked this issue of reskilling from a different angle and to have conversations and to understand the problem. Like, what does it mean to reskill an adult population? Do we really need to? And uh, I think that was my biggest sort of like a really good 36 months of learning and understanding the workforce issue at its core in the United States. Now, something else that uh, you got involved with, so I, I want to get back to YPO because you mentioned YPO, so we'll, we'll uh, go back to that. Um, but you're also, uh, you, you held the position of culture for the Indian American International Exchange of uh, Commerce can you talk about how you got involved with that and, and where that is today and and what inspired you to get involved like that? Um, again, a friend. Um, so we were having a conversation around the, the, the ability to do business. In, and this is way, when we were just, India was just starting to sort of uh, become mainstream and we were becoming more than tech programmers and business owners in the United States. And I always felt that there was this disconnect between the conversations between how we presented ourselves as Indians and how we presented ourselves as Americans and not understanding where we really do sit as an Indian American, because am I supposed to identify more with one or the other? And that cultural misfit was always there. So um, uh, Ramesh Agi, Dr. Mr. Agi was, um, is a good friend of ours and he uh, was said, I was commenting on some of something he was working on and he said, why don't you step in as, as a liaison and as the director and help us create that language um, and be that go between, between United States and India. I spent, uh, I learned everything I learned in United States. I was 21 when I moved to United States. So all my work culture comes from US. I've never worked in India. And, but I grew up in India and I'm very rooted in its culture and values and understanding. And after the Sam India project, I could actually sit down and say, this is not going to work. This is how they will receive it. The, the words have power and anything we say is received differently on different two sides. So that was sort of like the reason I was involved in it um, because, because I understood entrepreneurship from the United States side, but I also understood the, the language and the culture of, of that Indian. So that I did that for a year before I was pulled into YPO and that was too much of um, work around business and business as a force for good. But I felt YPO was more giving me those opportunities rather than the commerce, the cham chamber of commerce. So I did say goodbye to the chamber of commerce because it wasn't a fulfilling place for me. It was a great, great sort of understanding, but and I, I don't think so. I was contributing much to them. And, but it, it would create relationships and it, it would, um, you'd still have those relationships yeah. and you'd learn from that. And it gives you the ability to empower other areas and mm -hmm. empower other areas because of the experiences and the lessons learned. 
And you indicate you got pulled, pulled at the white field. So why did you use those terms, pulled at the white field? What does that mean? And who is YPO? Because a lot of the audience don't know what, who, what, what is a YPO. So, so um, Young Presidents Organization, I think uh, given that I live in D.C., there are tons of think tanks, organizations, um, associations and everything. And I will still say Young Presidents Organization sort of is unique in what it is. Uh, it is an organization of peers, mostly founders and CEOs of mid to large size businesses in, in many parts of the world. They actually are the community builders and the leaders, but in US they're mid to large size businesses who uh, come together around learning and, and vulnerability, which is which in itself is rare. Uh, we don't talk business. We talk about how can we better ourselves and how can we be better leaders, better parents, better um, community leaders, uh, and and that's that's not no other association does that, or no other group does that, and that true peer to peer collaboration and thinking is what drove me to it. Cherish, my husband was the ed chair for our chapter DC Baltimore chapter. And there was an event we had put together around human trafficking. Um, and I got a call from uh, Laura in uh, Laura Koch in uh, New York saying that she has a group of uh, members who would like to attend. Uh, we were talking about uh, the movie Sold and uh, the dark web that had just been that that uh, law had just been passed that now you could uh, manage and or there was sanctions around uh advertisements pay, placed on online for for selling um and so there was a unique day um we we had a great conversation around uh, we had the head of task force uh, fbi task force head as well so they're a good group of speakers and laura sent me a bunch of her members including rosie donaher uh, and uh, that's how I got pulled because Rosie and Kike then were like, okay, you need to do more uh, rather than just one event. And then that led to being a part of Helping Disadvantaged Kids Network, which was already, I was working for Sam in India, was natural. And so, um, and then then how you know how IPO happens, you just keep saying yes to every ask they have. And uh, you cannot say no to your peers. So you keep doing it. That's why I got pulled into it. And then describe the the journey because now you're chair of the People Action Network. So how did you get pulled into the People Action Network? Uh, so I was helping disadvantaged kids network, um, and um, it, we, I, we, we did, it was a fascinating journey. There were board meetings and stuff, and we had I believe it, I just learned that we not only come up with with solutions, we actually go implement them. We do awareness building a lot of it. So that was uh, all that was learning. But 2019, December, I was in Mumbai and I got a call from Don Rosie saying, hey, we're putting the impact networks into four networks in Geneva. And can you be, would you like to be the engagement officer? And I'm like, sure, whatever that means. Okay. And so she's like, fly to to Geneva in uh, in February. And that's when we flew to Geneva, all of us before COVID, and we formed four networks into people action. I was asked to be the engagement officer, and I had no idea what that meant. It took me, uh, but then see what COVID happened, and suddenly impact networks were very relevant. Uh, everybody was seeking. And so 
a lot of phones started coming around. How do I, especially from our produce uh, members, what can I do? You are focused on food and I have now livelihood of these people and I have all this produce where, what do we do? So we launched an entire program with a larger community where um, Melissa Ackerman had that whole boxes packed and we made sure they get do donated to, um, to the hospital workers. Um, so we were helping our member with her livelihood, but we were also helping our community with food. And so that program was created. We did a lot of, we did fundraising for, um, we helped, one of our members helped Doctors Without Borders put up their first uh, warehouse in 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 uh, New York. And so there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And, and back then we were measuring nothing. But when I came out of it, I realized engagement officer's job is that you get the pass fail grade on how your network's doing. So I had to really put my head to it and say, okay, you're going to measure me. I'll have to figure out how to do this. And engagement became something that I really enjoyed because now what you were asking me to do is, is to engage my member around impact, around social impact as a business leader. What is your role in your community? Uh, it, and how do you, and for businesses, it's planet is, they they say, okay, sure. Peace is, nor, is, is something that you feel and you want. Um, sustainable business, we are business owners, we want to do sustainable. But social impact issues are not our problem. We don't have these issues. Like hunger is nothing that we've ever experienced. So we really don't lean into it unless I'm a food scientist or a food business. Um, lack of education is not lack of medical care. And so how do I convert my member from a charitable model, like sure, I'll give some cash, to what is my role as a leader in not creating these issues and running a business that solves these issues? Business is sort of like the best way of shared prosperity. If we do business well, there should not be social issues. And that's when I became really involved in engagement, which then led to me becoming the chair and, and then chair again two times. I mean, that's a, a really remarkable journey. And maybe to give a little bit more context to YPO, the Young President's Organization, it's over 70 years old. Uh, it's a community now uh, of roughly about 35,000 uh, CEO leaders, investors. There's uh, there's probably about 22,000 spouse partners, right. uh, about 22,000 young uh, next generation of engineers. So community about 80,000. Probably from a relationships network standpoint, it'd be in the millions. But the community has, what, um, 500 chapters in 150 countries, um, employed 22 million and about 9 trillion in annual revenue, which would rank them third as a, as a country if they were a country as a community. And you're an integral part of that. And then you mentioned um, uh, the impact side of YPO. So there's the Impact Network Council, which consists of four networks. And you mentioned the People Network, the Planet Action Network, Sustainable um, Business Network, uh, uh, the Peace uh, Network. So there, there's these four networks. And then by definition, a network is a community of these leaders. So, um, so trying to give a, a bit of context. So you chair yeah. a whole group of people. Uh, so about uh, yeah, uh, about three thousand CEOs across the world, uh, which out of, out of which about five hundred head um, nonprofits, uh, uh, and they are the the primary qualifying businesses are nonprofit. 
between uh, between the four Inc. at this point, we are what, like about 7,000 unique members. Um, so there's a lot, but I always say network is exclusive. But when you are mainstream, you are not called a network. You're not called anything. Like, for example, in YPO, we have a women in business network. But the rest of it is called YPO because there is no male in business network. Like, that's not a network. That's mainstream. Similarly, Impact, uh, yes, I do chair about 3,000 sort of member spouses and a large community who believes in Impact. But but we would be successful when we cease to be a network. And that's a pillar of our business across the world. We always talk about YPO as the third largest GDP, like nine trillion. But what we forget to say is about these million people, if we decide to, and I use the word SDGs as a reference and not something that, but any social issue, we will solve it. It's that how big our clout is. And that's where I get my energy and passion. It's like, even if I convince 10 business owners across the world to do their business with purpose, the trickle down effect is very massive. I mean, there's grassroots and I'm all for it, but the top down approach that that YPO allows me to have around any social issue or anything that requires attention is remarkable. It's once in a lifetime opportunity. This is This is something that if I want to, to to make a dent in anything that that bothers my heart this is it this is how i can fix it like uh gender equity could we just we talked about gender equity and technology and at at one of our events you were there for unga united nations general assembly uh and and as as our society is getting gender fluid it's becoming a much more it's not an issue that we cannot we can ignore. Like, well, how do we not design self-driving cars? We're talking about self-driving cars, not talking to another self-driving car while changing lanes. Are we talking about self-driving cars and identifying human beings from all shapes, sizes, colors, and now gender? Um, and, and that's when my business owners come into play because they are on the boards and they are in, as the CEOs and they they can bring this conversation. Um, are our boards uh, well well balanced? Uh, hunger. I mean, what is the role of workforce development? That's why I lean so significantly in workforce development. You don't have to be charitable. Like you just have to pay your workers well, create good housing and lean into your workers beyond just a salary as a business owner in the well-being of your community. Tatas have done it. Ford used to be a four generation employer at one point of time. They were four generations of employers that work for, uh, employees that work for Ford because they gave more than just a salary. I think that that's what, as a People Action Network chair, it's one member at a time, but looking at what is our role in not exploiting our people and our planet and making sure that beyond profit, there is purpose. So we don't even create the social issues. Um, and so the clout that YPO has and the ability to solve any of the SDGs is mind boggling if we do lean in. And, um... So is there an end to, uh, like, you've been chair twice, your current chair, and then before that you were chair. Is there an end? Can you, you be continuing to chair? No, there's an end to everything. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm done in 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 May uh, as a chair, but then uh, I have had the ability to build amazing connections, and I can be pretty 
pretty perseverant. So I will not stop sort of like, this is something worth doing and I'll continue doing it. Uh, it, as a chair or not a chair doesn't matter. Uh, they will still answer my calls. Um, <laughs> a little begrudgingly sometimes, but they will still pick up the phone. So I will continue with the work of con convincing each of my business owners to think about other aspects of business apart from just profit. I mean, it's just really, really um uh, it's so profound all the different areas that you're involved with and um and you're so active so it's it, you're involved and active and executing taking action right on a continuing basis and that's a really rare quality so uh, kudos and uh, it's your book that inspired us like do, dreamers and doers and and and, and you you talk about it too. It's you've been quite an inspiration that there are dreamers and then there are doers, and then you could be a dreamer and a doer together. So I do get a lot of inspiration from you, um, and you continue to inspire. Last time we spoke, you put me on a path to AI. So now I am founding a nonprofit around AI and uh, uh, neurodiverse workforce development. So how do we put our neurodiverse uh, and especially the the children who are in extreme spectrum uh, in, in uh, you know, the tech field, like we can now have them gainfully employed. There's dignity in work rather than just creating normalized situations where they are taken care of. Could I use the unique abilities they have to be placing them in, in workforce? Because there is just dignity in workforce and there is dignity in work. Not, not everybody can be, you know, I am lucky my bills are paid, but we shouldn't be able to be financially independent and and be able to take care of ourselves. Um, so that that led to that now. So Stephen, that 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 conversation has sparked something else. So maybe hopefully from a year from now, you we are talking about how Sure Start is now working on how we are placing neurodiverse um, young adults into technology sector as as employees. Wow, that's fascinating. So that's new. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> i am i'm done in may from people action i have to to have another project so that's new and isotonic is now leaning significantly into workforce development around healthcare um so training my healthcare workers because i find it hard to believe that i have to spend six hours in an emergency room in, in the united states because we are lack of workers i mean what does that even mean how are we developed we are not developed so advocacy on that side. So yeah, so as I roll off of people action, I do need something else to um, cheerlead. Rara, moving on. <laughs> you know, I, I did an interview with uh, Nirmalesh from the Sona Group and was your project related to your expert? Nirmalesh was my, yes. He's a, he's a brilliant architect and, yeah. and, uh, and I've never met somebody with such uh, pure intellect. He is my tech partner. He's my friend. Uh, <laughs> he, he helps me understand how we can translate whatever I come back with into a technology, into a nifty tool. Um, so he continues to be supporting. So I, um, uh, everything you do, if it's not measured, it doesn't get done. So if I have to convince every state and every employer in the United States that they should lean into hospitals, should lean into their workforce, I need data and that data yeah. needs to be presented. And that that's Nirmalesh um, to, to make sure that we explain and understand the problem 
you need to understand the problem before you solve it. And that's where Nirmalesh comes in. So you you and Nirmalesh must have great conversations because he's got a physics background as well, right? And he's yeah. in biotech and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. so um, I don't know if you, uh, maybe you have had a chance. Yuri Levin, who fo founded Waze, uh, we ha right. had an opportunity to meet with him in in uh, in Singapore for a YPO event. And he's an incredibly brilliant human being. And he said to me, no matter what you start and end, but if you cannot live with your business partner and there is not a conversation beyond business, you should not be working together. And <laughs> and I think Nirvalesh is that person. We can, we talk about everything and then we're like, wait, we have stuff to do. So he's, he's, a, he's an incredible thought partner. I, I mean, I do know uh, yeah, Yuri. In fact, I interviewed him and uh, before the launch of his book uh, last year. And in fact, I was in Israel earlier um, last year and, and we were trying to meet, but our, and we were, we were actually scheduled to spend some time, but then our schedules kind of got unsynchronized. <laughs> and, if you um, ever have a conversation, I would like to be the fly on the wall between you and Yuri. Um, it's, uh, I cannot imagine when you two think about stuff together, what will get solved like this. Um, you, you yourself are an inherent problem solver, no matter what you do and how you do it. And that's why I'm always inspired by your work because you look at it and you go for how can I undo it and create a solution for not only myself, but everybody. And because you have a math and physics and a computer science background, that's what, and my, when we send the children out to study, we should tell them when you study these very deep disciplines, it's not about just getting the next job. It's about looking the world with these tools and solving problems because that's what these disciplines teach you. I'm just going to add a little bit of a data fragment to uh, um, our conversation about 40 minutes ago, where you talked about uh, amino acids folding into proteins, and you talk about alpha fold two, and you know they've uncovered 200 proteins, 200 million proteins, yeah. and and then we reflected back that you know a few years ago it was the 200,000, and it went to two million, but and then there's a related project with ESM fold with 600 million uh, proteins. Um, just the one little data point, uh, I, I just like to mention to the audience that, uh, you know, it took 70 years to do 200,000, uh, uh, proteins from amino acids, but it's estimated if you were to use that same technology to try to figure out, uh, 200 million proteins, it would take 100,000 years and a hundred trillion dollars. So it just indicates how profound that discovery of using these uh, AI models, machine learning models to be to do this thing. It just, it was considered mind boggling, right? Uh, so, and and you're involved in all of this stuff too, so. And you um, started the whole conversation with N, N is equal to NP. How much time have we spent on that problem? And we were nowhere near even, like you were you all, all will become a polynomial solvable problem that that and in, in our previous conversations i've always expressed like how will the world be fed if this happens and you said n is equal to np p is equal to np will if we solve one problem we'll solve others and then just the fascinating point we are in this world where we can actually like the same with the with the i just i keep my thoughts are fragmented as my life is um for the autism 
uh, spectrum, uh, we've spent all entire learning on normalizing them. But now for the first time, we don't have to normalize anybody to to any standard. Every individual can uniquely learn. But unlike ever before, the AI model will never be hurt by ego and it will collaborate and it can be wrong a million times. So how many people can we benefit by changing the learning models? They, they won't be upset like therapists and teachers and no, no offense to them, but for the first time we're taking out the ego that comes with the human intelligence and just putting pure intelligence in place to solve problems. This is, I mean, I am just blown away. I am just blown away with what the possibility is and, and not to, not to use this tech and to understand it would be, a shame. I mean, we shouldn't be scared of it. My dad always says, "What you don't understand is what scares you, and what bores you. If you understand it, you will. It, no, you won't be scared by it, and you won't be bored by it." Yeah, and then there's so many things in nature that we can mirror and understand, like the uh, distributed neural network that's an octopus, for example. It's different. <laughs> it's alien, but it works, right? Or or corvids. Uh, their brains are different. Their birds' their brains are different, but it works, right? So. And rather than being just so human-centric in our thinking of maybe going beyond, there's so much uh, learning. And and the community learns from you, uh, Komal. You're just an amazing, outstanding uh, leader, you know, across everything, you know, from purposeful leadership to purposeful business to innovation to impact to investments and care. I mean, you're just an amazing individual. And thank you. Uh, for coming in. And I have one last question, and that is, what final message would you like to leave to the audience or recommendation? Um, curiosity, like true, true intellectual curiosity, be honest, be be curious, is like what your action and your words have an implication. Everything has an impact. Just be curious as to what that impact is and be honest about it. And I think the rest just falls in place, right? Like if you're curious and honest, that's all it takes. Absolutely. So thank you again, Kamal, for coming in and sharing so many of your deep insights and experiences with the audience. I really enjoy, uh, in fact, I continue to enjoy any time I engage with you because you're just uh, just uh, such an amazing individual. So thank you again. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in Rwanda soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Take care, Stephen. You too. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.